What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This one and this one, and I think we're good. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're back live with the Louis B. Free Radio Show, Brain Food from the Heartland. And I am thrilled. I am ecstatic to have returning to the show, Dan O'Shannon. I'm grateful. Hello. I'm grateful to be here. Well, I love having you on. You know that. And, and you're such a nice guy, by the way. <laughs> with all Seriously, with all, with all your successes, all the awards... Everything you you are a very grounded, down to earth guy. I I appreciate that. Oh, I I think it's like I think I learned a long time ago that um, that time just keeps moving on, and the things that are important or have any kind of social cachet they fade very quickly, and so you can't hold on to that and make it important. It's like yeah, okay, I have an Emmy or two. It's like it's, but but it's like. For, for shows that were years ago and will soon be years and years and years ago. One's from Cheers, which is like, uh, I don't know, 30 years ago? And so, uh, um, you know, it would be foolish of me, I think, to just hold on to that level of kind of ego or pride that some people can have about that because it's, it's, it's like history. It's like, it's, like, it's like still carrying yourself around proudly because you were in a play in the second grade and you got to laugh or something. You know? <laughs> well, people can have about that because... When you say, by the way, some awards, um, six Emmy Awards for your TV work, five for Modern Family, one for Cheers, five awards, five nominations for Modern Family, three for Frasier, uh, four nominations and one award for Cheers. It goes on and on. Writers Guild of America, uh, several Golden Globe Awards. I think that's a little bit. You know what? Now that you put it all like that, I'm kind of a big deal. Yes, you are. I'm going to a radio show out of Youngstown. I, I feel like I'm an idiot. I turn this into something big. Yes. Come on. I mean, that's again. I I I appreciate the fact that you don't let your ego get in the way, but that's a, that's a lot of that shows a lot of people appreciate your work, like your work and honor your work well that's nice to know but I, I again i have this whole thing with the you know time passing now having lived long enough to see stuff i've done go from being on prime time to being on nick at night to being you know something that occasionally someone discovers uh you know if something is a year old it might as well be 20 years old or 30 years old as far as i'm concerned i feel like i wrote during i wrote tv I mean, I haven't quite stopped, but I feel I wrote TV at a time when TV was a whole different thing, and it feels like a part of history. I wrote when there were three networks and four networks, yeah. and up to Modern Family, which is still to us recently, but in about two seconds, that'll be just as old and foggy in everyone's head as all the other shows. So, you know, it's like, it's nice to know that I've done those things for me because they were you know, goals I had when I was a kid, and I feel like I got to make a lot of people laugh. 
uh, all, most of those laughs are long forgotten uh, by people, and uh, I'll always know that they were there, but they were understand it was in the past. Yeah, I, I, and I yeah. understand that. I do understand that. It's a great. I have a uh, BBC presenter and author on about uh, time. And not to belabor it, but she would, she talked about how it's different if you feel time coming through you or that you're moving through time. I mean, it's just interesting about things. With, with time. Fascinating. Uh, Claudia Hammond, I, the title escapes me right now, but great, great. It was very enlightening to me about, about time. And I do understand. It's like you can't just settle, well, you know, 10 years ago this or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I think, forward. Yeah, I, I teach college classes sometimes, and even the seniors weren't alive when oh, uh, yeah, you know, this prime time. They were babies when Frazier went off the air. Yeah. And so I, I have to, I cannot, you know, and maybe that's one of the reasons I live in Ohio mostly instead of Los Angeles. I, I, I like to live in the real world and not yeah. be frozen in my mind at a certain time that isn't valid anymore. And I know people that are frozen at different parts of their past and they kind of think the world has stayed in one place and it never does. And so I think once you get comfortable with the fact that the world is always shifting around you, then you can kind of you know, forge some kind of life that makes sense. That's great. And and you're, you're more in touch in this area, not living in that yeah, I think when I go back and visit people, occasionally I'll meet with like executives and stuff, and then they still talk about how you know how big and important the networks are. I mean, I'm on a big show on CBS, you know. When I tell people here I've worked for CBS, they get all excited because they think I said CVS, and then when I tell them, <laughs> no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't work there. I work as a network, and they're like, why? And I vaguely remember, you know. <laughs> you crack me up. You are very, very, very funny. Um, I, again, I, I'm sure, I'm probably sure, I'm not sure that we ever spoke about Ed O'Neill being from Youngstown. Uh, we may have. He's great. He loves He loves Youngstown. Yeah. He's, uh, I, I like that he has a soft spot for his hometown. Yeah, I've had him on a few times, and it's just, it's just interesting. You know, it's just interesting about that. And people here just love him. It's great, oh, yeah. you know. Youngstown boy makes good. Oh yeah! <laughs> finally, finally, they can stop bragging about Joe Flynn for two minutes and like uh, <laughs> grab onto Edwin Neal. That must be nice. <laughs> it's great. Austin Pendleton's from there, right? I'm sorry. I, was Austin Pendleton from there too? I think. I, I maybe I'm making that up in my head. Uh, I don't know. Who's? I, I'm oh, he's, he's an actor. He's been in a bunch of things, and you know, if you see him, you know, him. one of those people. I'd know him this, if I saw him, right? Yeah. I know yeah. who he is. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, you know, the older I get, the less I remember. <laughs> less well, Joe I Flynn, access. Joe Flynn was yeah. definitely from Youngstown. Yeah, Joe think, Flynn, yeah. yeah. yeah he was cool. Yeah, he, he was great. Uh, author of two books. Again, I, I know I'm going over a lot Joe of Flynn stuff. Joe two books? You oh, did. Man. You did. Oh. You did. <laughs> I, I, let's talk about what are you laughing at, which I just, it's interesting. Tell us about oh, that book. Well, thanks. thanks. Uh, well, you know, I, I uh, and I often say this, I, I was, and it's true, I was not born a naturally funny kid. And, uh, but around the age of eight, it clicked in that I really wanted to be a funny kid. And I had no idea how to go about it. And so I spent the next, you know, 10 years <laughs> trying to figure out how to be funny and trying everything. And I became 
first of all, extremely obnoxious. People hated me. I can't blame them. You know, there's nothing as unfunny as a kid trying to be funny all the time. And, um, but I also became just by habit of mind, very analytical. It's like, well, that got a laugh. How come this doesn't really get a laugh? And how come that, da, 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 da? and I became this kind of like a, you know, a comedy pathologist or, or whatever, a detective, like what makes people laugh? And uh, around 17 or 18, I became sort of reliably funny. And then I started doing stand-up, which was a whole new education. And then I started writing TV shows every week with audiences over and over and millions of jokes, it seems like. And I learned and I learned and I learned. And so my whole life was trying to figure out comedy. And then I started reading some, some academic papers about what comedy is. And they all seemed very limited to a formula of all comedy is X. All comedy is superiority, all comedy is relief, all comedy is incongruity, it goes on and on and on. But every single one of those falls into a trap because you can find something that's funny that doesn't quite fit. And so I kind of did a whole different approach of it. I, I created a, la a comedy as a landscape of variables that may have, that have the potential to you know have a comic effect so i i sort of spent eight years writing and rewriting and writing and rewriting and just single-mindedly working on this thing and it became kind of the um it in a nutshell it's from the age of eight on trying to figure it out that book is the culmination of everything i figured out and it, it explains comedy to my satisfaction someone else might read it and say that's not comedy but i i feel like it is that's again that that analytical part of you where do you think that comes from i think a desperate need to understand the world around me because i think as a child That's i think right. people were behaving in incomprehensible ways sometimes they were nice and sometimes they were mean and sometimes they were close and sometimes they were distant and i always felt i think a lot of kids feel this way i felt like i had been born with a set of instructions that had somehow gotten thrown out with the placenta you know and so i had to sort of like figure it out you know um and so was really just kind of like trying to figure out why, why what makes sense and so you know uh, that was always it and then i'm a big deconstructionist that's how i taught myself music and, and a few other things and drawing and it's just always like take take it apart to the different instruments and to the very basic oh this is a chord and this is a da -da -da, and then rebuild it again that's how i was with comedy that's, that's it uh, again uh, it's interesting how the the analytical part of you and how you know developed like you say you weren't a funny kid no, but you no. became a very funny adult. Um, I I was fortunate. I, I think they, you know, they say that you know you can't teach people how to be uh, be funny, and um, I think if you start them young enough and if they're determined enough, they can. I mean, I I, I think someone who's not funny who at the age of like twenty five says I'm going to start being funny tomorrow. I think they're just in for heartache and doom. But I think you know you start young enough and you're figuring yourself out and life out and comedy all at the same time. I think you can kind of piece it together. And, and by the way, you know, as I said, is a lot of the figuring out is about trying to figure out the people around me. That's what like comedy is. It's like figuring out psychology, really. It's like it's like why are those people? How can you make people laugh? And then why are you making the people laugh? Because maybe they'll like you a little bit, you know. And that I think was really underneath figuring out comedy. It's like getting a laugh so that they'll smile at me and like me. And then it was only when I was an adult that I realized, oh, they don't like me. They like the joke or they like the bit or they like the act or they like the show. That had nothing to do with me. It was a, a safe way for me to get love. You know, they'll love the things I do. That way I can feel loved, but I don't feel threatened by the love. You know, wow. and so that, that was my journey. You feel the love, but not threatened by the love. 
Yeah, love is a scary thing. It's a scary thing and puts you in a very vulnerable place. But yes. if yes. you are pretending to be someone, either on stage or if you are writing things, creating things, and people love those, and you can both kind of feel like, oh, they love me, then I don't have to be vulnerable because I've controlled it. You know, I can be a certain person on stage, and if they like that person on stage, I can sort of feel that love. But it's, and I know it's not real, and I know it's not about me. It's about the experience they're having. But at the same time, it's very safe for me because I don't have to feel vulnerable or or seen. I've controlled and edited myself. We all control and edit. Yes. yes. But but the extreme version of that is how you perform. I think. That's when you when you say that it's it they're at that, but you've created that also. It's not outside yeah. of you; it's part of you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it isn't a total. It's nothing is a total lie. You know, it's like I. It's an, like I say, it's a, it's an edited version of me that I put out there, or you know, or whatever. And it's still to this day. I mean, I, I uh, I'm working on this documentary, and I just finished a sequence last night. I was working till midnight, making the music for it, and putting it and syncing it all up. And I immediately sent it to a, a very lovely girl who might actually be watching this. Uh, oh, lovely, yeah. girl they call him Allie from Brexville. She's wonderful. Anyway, what's the name? And, uh, what's, what's, Allie. Okay, uh, Allie. Uh, I I'm, I hope you're joining us. And oh, I hope so. Um, uh, anyway, so I immediately, but I finished this thing. Now I'm seventy billion years old, right? Oh no, and, no, and, no! I and, I saw you, you're you're over a decade. Younger than I am. Oh, really? Wow! I just wow. entered my seventieth year. Oh, so okay. I was yes. a kid when I was your age. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, you know what? No matter how old you get, you got to remember that in ten years you would kill to be this age. Oh, yeah, that's yeah? Uh, that's what, what I'm sorry. So I'm sixty, and I go, oh no, I'm sixty, and I think, oh, when I'm seventy, if someone said, you know, for a million dollars you could be sixty again, I'd take it. So, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, Anyway, oh, so here I am, this, and I've done these things you talk about, whatever, and I finished working it. The first thing I did was I sent it to Allie, and part of it is really, truly, what do you think of this? Am I missing something? Did I do something wrong? Because she's a good sounding board. But the other part is, look what I did, look what I did, and I might as well be <laughs> And that never stops. Yeah, but, uh, but when you say that about ha- to have someone to give you the accolades and criticism and, and yeah. criticism in a nice way obviously that you, you can trust because a lot of people would say oh dan or shannon it was great dan it was great dan it was it's fabulous yeah. Yeah. it's you know and, and that doesn't benefit you at all no no i uh um no she's she's fortunately she'll tell me the truth when she doesn't like something and then i just don't that's talk good to her. <laughs> <laughs> teach her i have emmys Damn it! Yes. She knows who I am. No, actually, I'm not sure she doesn't know who I am. But again, that the that uh, to have somebody that you can show that to and know that they're going to be honest in their critique—I'll say critique oh. of it—is yeah. really important. It's got to be really important. Yeah, you can. I know people. You can get lost in the kind of you've done good things before, and then you feel like, well, I've done good things before, so everything must I be do good. Yeah, be this good. must be good. This must and be. You, if, I think that's the road to ruin. I think when people start to feel like that, I think they they just stop. You know, because you, I think you have to fall down. You have to scrape yourself. You have to get dirty. You have to pick yourself back up. You have to you have to go down long dead end roads and then come back and throw stuff out and start again. You you have to, and it's ugly, and you you always feel like, oh, I've graduated past that. 
But no, I mean, the thing I'm working on now, I'll work for two days on a part of it, and I go, it just doesn't work. I'll toss it out, and I won't sleep, and then I'll start again, but it's the only way I'm moving forward. Yeah. You know, when you say that, it makes me think of a, I probably shouldn't say his name. I don't want to get Louie on you. That uh, A wonderful, was a wonderful musician. Um, I shouldn't mention Bob Dylan by name. But well, the, no, I'll have no idea who you're talking about then, but okay. Of course. The, and going to see him when he played locally, it was like, I was so excited. I'd never seen, you know, it's like, I'm going to see Dylan, man. You know, this is, this is great. Yeah, never saw him. Loved him when I was growing up, when I was young. And was so, again, I still love some of the old stuff. Disappointed with the concert. I'm sitting, the guy I'm sitting next to, it's like, like what song is this? Mm-hmm. And I understand they want to rework it. One time, it's like, Bob, one time, you don't mind me going here, do you? No, no, no. Okay. One time, get an acoustic guitar, go up to the mic, and do something. I'm, <laughs> don't experiment or whatever uh, when you've yeah. got people that bought tickets to come see you and have supported your work over many, mm. many, many years. It was just, he didn't play, he played piano, whatever. But it was interesting that none of the people in my area could recognize the songs. What song is this? What song is this? Yeah, yeah. Nobody knew. And it was just, I mean, eventually you knew when you heard certain words, but it was just, uh, um, and my, you know, Louis, no filter, I'm sorry. My wife always says my greatest asset is my greatest, also my greatest liability. No filter between the brain and the mouth. <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I got to stop there. Okay. I, but I, it's just, again, love the old stuff, but I'm sure I am going to go here. I believe that because he's got all these cheering fans that he's got that, I'm not judging him, I'm guessing that he feels that, well, I've been such a uh, musician that's a star over so many decades that anything I do is good because people uh, applaud and go to his concerts. (laughs) Well, I think think that's true. I mean, if you're getting that feedback, if you're getting that feedback constantly, it's like like kind of like, like, I I think a lot of us can't, it's it's like you can't see your own face. You only can see your own face if it's a reflection off a mirror. The only way you can see yourself is through reflection. And I think even just as a human being, I think the primary way we see ourselves is reflected in other people. So if other people love you, you must be good. And if other people hate you, either they're idiots or whatever. But, if you, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, think, I think if you constantly get reflected back to you, you are a genius, you are a genius. It must be hard not to assume that's the truth. You know, even and perhaps and for many years it was fairly accurate. But then that that's the image of you that gets cemented in. I guess. I mean, I don't know. yeah. And, and I, I, as you say, I mean, I gotta believe for people. You know, you're touring in a, in a rock band, whatever, uh, around the world, and you step out on stage, and everybody starts cheering and screaming for you. And I could see how that might get to somebody, someone. Yeah. You know, yeah. you. You know, I, I get somewhere and people walk the other way. Here, you've got people that were, again, literally around the world that are cheering for you, jumping yeah, yeah, up and down, cheering for you, applauding for you. And I could see how that could, I'm not being critical, I could see how that could kind of get into you. But again, yeah. you're so modest 
and I, you keep that, and your philosophies are, are fantastic. I've got got a couple emails. What about the documentary? Oh, the documentary. Uh, yes, I'm doing a documentary. It's about the history of uh, Cleveland area kids shows. Oh. So if anyone grew up watching, uh, you know, Barnaby or Captain Penny or you know all these other people, Captain Bob Penny. Or, wow. Yeah. Gallardi. Uh, no, you know what? I, I really kind of kept it down to the kids. It was the kids' show. That's yeah. You know, I, I mean, yeah. closest I do is a super host because he was like an extension of Saturday morning cartoons. You know, and he was like somebody if you weren't old enough to stay up and watch Gulardi, you would. Learn. So I really kept it to the kids' thing, um, and uh, it's going to be about an hour long, and uh, it's it's kind of interesting. It's based on a book written by a friend of mine, Michael Shevsky. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to co-host this thing with him, and um, we would stand there and talk about old shows and show clips. And I asked him if I if I got involved, could I make some suggestions? And he said, if you get involved, you can do anything you want. Which I wish now he'd say, he didn't say that because now I'm just doing everything. But I am. But I said the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take all the pictures and videos we can find of these old shows and send them to a company in Los Angeles and have them digitally recreate all these old sets. And then you and I will use like an old TV clicker and click ourselves into these sets and from inside the set of Rumpel Room, the set of Captain Penny or whatever, talk about these old shows, interact with props, you know, that sort of thing. And that was the first change I made. So I did all that. We shot all that. And uh, and I'm doing the editing and the writing and the music and the blah, blah, blah. blah and the know. music and the music. Yeah, yeah. Except for, you know, like their actual themes. Which I understand. The rights for. But as far as the incidental music and all that, that's me too. Um, I've turned into a real control freak here. But uh, hopefully it'll be done in August, and um, you know it's it's a lot of work, and I'm unbearable to be around because that's all I talk about. So people are trying to talk to me and say things, and I'm just thinking about the time that you know Barnaby decided not to wear his ears on, on camera or whatever, and um, you know, so it's uh, I feel sorry for everyone around me until August. I think people are probably enjoying it and excited about it. Especially people in this area that remember those shows again when there were three three network yeah yeah three channels and you know and you know that's the thing about this you know people are saying well how, how come you have a deadline aren't you retired you can do it whenever you want and I keep thinking that the core audience for this is literally dying yeah literally so, yes so if I take a day off I start to hear this voice about people are dying like I have to get back to work you know have as many people see this as as they can before they're gone yeah, you know, you know that's and that's a really good point because we are you know we're in, we're senior citizens and right. It'll be fun for us, and then it'll be, you know, uh, decent educational purposes for other generations. Yeah. If anyone wants to look up and see, and I, I think it's nice to have all that information in one place. This is who we were, and this is the stuff we watched, and here were these people that meant so much to us back in the... It's nice to have a, a, a cohesive tribute to them that sort of honors them and shows stuff that we haven't seen in a long time, and, and it, it sort of boxes it up for the future in case anyone wants to look and see Dan O'Shannon, that's that's great. I'm I'm so looking forward to seeing it because again, when when you say Captain Penny, uh, Barnaby, Romper Room, that takes me way back. Things I hadn't thought about. And mm-hmm. you know, if someone said, "What TV programs did you watch growing up?" It's like you know, Gallardi. You know, when I was a little sure. older, I, I I don't want to say I forgot. Obviously not. But, but you've well, opened those memories. Just yeah. saying that was. Forgive my ignorance. Was Romper Room the one where at the end she would the magic mirror? The magic mirror. Thank see you. people at home, and she would say hi to them all. Yeah. Uh, yes, I. Uh, I 
we, we talk about that, we show that in the, in the documentary. We've already shot the romp rooms, that's all done. And uh, at the end of it, I, I point out that, you know, even though they actually made an effort to be diverse and having the different kids from different nationalities and ethnicities on the show, when it came to the magic mirror, all the names were like Billy and Timmy and Jane and Ellen, you know? And so at the end, <laughs> so, so at the end I actually, I got the actual magic mirror that our teacher here used. And um, I, so and I did the same thing at the end of that segment. Only I said, you know, I said good morning and hello to Emilio and LaShonda and, you know, you know Shinshi and, you know, all the that's people. Right, that's right. You said the the actual magic mirror. Yeah, it was a franchised show. It was a franchised show. So in Youngstown, you had a different teacher than we did in Cleveland. It was the same show, but a different teacher in every city, so that local wow. kids. Could learn. Yeah, and we talk about that. And uh, and ours was Miss Barbara, and uh, and the magic mirror that she had was in the um, Western Reserve Historical Society, the, the museum here. And I got their permission to use it. And and when I brought this thing home, it was I don't think I was that careful when I brought my daughter home from the hospital. I was <laughs> I had this magic mirror, and I think I think I like I think I tiptoed to my car, you know, and uh, and you know you know stopped at every yellow light, you know. You're holding um, something irreplaceable. Yeah, part of yeah. history. Oh, I was terrified with that thing. And then I, you know, I used it, got it back to them. Everything's fine. It was like, right? <laughs> it's got, that is, that's incredible that you actually had the, the actual mirror. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's great. So really, uh, when you told them, if you don't mind, if, when you asked to borrow it, what was their reaction? What was that like? I mean... They were great. It's you. They it's you. I'm sorry, you know, Dan O'Shannon, of course, of course. Oh, well, I think that probably helped. Um, I'm sure. They were, yeah, I mean, every now and again, I, I get to use it and it helps. Um, and sometimes it doesn't at all. But in this case, it did. And they were very, very kind and, and open. I just had to sign a few things. And I thank them at the end of the show with a bunch of other people. And um, and they, they knew, they could tell the way I talked about it, how much I actually did respect the people you know who I'm doing their their stories, you know, and um, and so they they were fine with it and uh, very helpful. I, I they're great. Maybe I'll get a job there when I'm done with it. Well, you know, you going to ask to borrow it, making a documentary, is much different than if I asked for it. Is they said, buddy, we're not giving you the you know the mirror. But again, that's that's we don't out magic mirrors. We think we're made of magic yeah. mirrors. <laughs> What's right? And again, younger people. Don't remember what TV was like then. Yeah, I know. It's, it was three yeah. channels, and they they went off at like one o'clock in the morning, then signed on. Uh, That's right. Yeah, and that was it. That was that was it. Yes, it's, it was. Uh, just, it was very. Interesting. You know, do you know what? Uh, I will say that 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 one thing that's missing now because we don't have that anymore is we've lost something actually very valuable. When TV was limited to three, and then like four and five channels. Uh, we, uh, my generation, your generation, we watched what was currently being produced at that time, and we watched the reruns that our parents watched, and we watched the movies that our grandparents watched, okay? So if they were showing The Little Rascals, that was stuff that from the 30s and the 40s, the old yeah. Warner Brothers cartoons, that's, that's yeah. stuff that was in well, theaters that our grandparents watched, well, and, and the early TV shows that they reran, and then the current stuff. And so... So when I was like in my 20s and I went to Los Angeles and started writing TV, I could sit in a room with adults and talk about the shows they grew up with and be versatile in that and uh, well versed in, in those shows. We could t- talk about old movies and old TV and everyone my age could because we'd all had the reruns. 
But now, kids don't watch reruns. They watch what they watch. They all watch the same cartoons, the, the same Paw Patrol 90 times and, the, and, and whatever. Uh, but they're not going to watch a black and white movie unless someone makes them do it. They're not going to watch a black and white TV show. There's no sense for them of TV history. There's no sense for them of old movie history. There's no sense for them of these are the kinds of musicals they made during World War II. There's no sense of like gangster movie, film noir, all the stuff that it was part of our mental language because we had no choice but to watch it. That it helped us get along with previous generations and have common ground. The generation coming up now has no cultural common ground with us in that way, you know. That that is very interesting. Again, I, I love Turner Classic movies. You know, be it black and white or or yeah. colorized or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've said this numerous times on the show. It was interesting that there was a, a movie on once, and I was talking to the TV and you know and my, my wife, and I said, "That why, why is this on Turner Classic Movies? I can't believe this is on Turner Classic Movies." And she said, um, "That movie's what like fifty years old." Yeah, it was like yeah. wow. Talk about a wake up for you know. I didn't yeah. expect to see it, but I love watching the ones that uh, you know from the 30s and 40s, and it, to me, it's wonderful. And like you say, um, with uh, my father listened to uh, a lot of jazz and some mm-hmm. blues and some old comedy albums, which I, and big band, I should say, big band, a lot of big band. That when I was young was like you know again there was one record player and I certainly couldn't put my stuff on because it would irritate them most of the time it was and I didn't like it then and it was interesting as I matured as I got older you know I mm-hmm. love jazz I love blues and I re- yeah. love big band also some of the things that you know you I, I guess as a kid you kind of reject you know naturally if my, if your parents liked it you yeah. can't you can't say you like it but yes but again but it, it plants a seed once it gets in there it stays it just stays dormant and then when you allow it to you know uh, yeah. grow, it becomes something it yeah. starts to grow yeah that's that yeah. so the process again of making this uh document oh and you said captain penny also oh, yeah. i'm looking i it's good i looked at my notes here captain penny uh, mm-hmm. forgot about that what was it what's that segment like uh well let's see um you know, that's the, that's the uh, there's only two segments left for me to do, and that's one I haven't done yet. So what will happen is the way I'll start that segment is I will spend a week doing nothing but research. And then I'll talk about it. I mean, it's, it's really interesting the variety of people that became well-known hosts of kids' shows. I mean, Barnaby, uh, his story, Lynn Sheldon's story is, you could do a whole movie on this guy. He was a born entertainer, and he was a genius. Then you have Captain Penny, who was essentially an announcer who put on an outfit, and he didn't. He was, he was supposed to be like a, a train engineer or something, but he called himself a captain, which trains didn't have. And he showed the little, little rascals and the Three Stooges and stuff like that. But he didn't do any funny characters. He wasn't himself inspired and silly. He was just like an adult. He said, you know, make sure you listen to mom and, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever. But then Barnaby was like, he was like, you're the most, you know, you're the nicest person in the whole world, just you. And everyone's like, no, Barnaby. <laughs> um, good message, right, though? Good message. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and with Barnaby, in Barnaby's case, Lynn Sheldon. Uh, you know, what I find ironic is he said that thousands of times to hundreds of thousands of kids in Cleveland over the years. He was on for 32 years. Wow, but 32 he himself, years. Yeah, but he himself 
as a child, never heard those kind of words. He was uh, abandoned and orphaned at the age of eight and living on, on the streets. Wow. And so he had this, he, he developed this drive, this hunger for applause because that was approval yeah. and it was love. Yeah. He spent his life trying to get that. And he ended up creating the character he himself never had, which was the adult who could be trusted, who would like take care of your feelings and talk to you like a human. Now, all the stuff he never had, he ended up creating, you know, while looking for this love thing. It was, it was a really interesting story. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah that is beautiful. Uh, too many, uh, if there was bad or not good, I'll say things going on in the family, uh, replicate that when they get old. I mean, when you hear someone, you know, that uh, there was uh, violence in the home and then the they kid grow grows home. up and they're yeah. violent. To, yeah, it's like, you know, I, how, how did you feel when you were young? You had to be terrified and upset. Yeah. And you couldn't do anything. And that, that was your mom. I mean, I just, I that part I don't understand that continuing the bad behavior i yeah. really understand the desire to again not to get too much in uh, um my parents but obviously it was dysfunctional i mean look at me at, in my 70th year obviously it was dysfunctional but, what are you but, talking about you're fine can i Wait, quote you, can i quote you can i quote yeah, sure. <laughs> but they again with something like that you, know, you would want to be different. There are aspects of my dad that certainly I love, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to be a parent like he was. Right. So I, I right. don't get the other part. It's like, how did you like it when you were a kid? You didn't like it, so why would you do it again? Right. And well, I like that about Barnaby. Yeah, yeah. Now, I imagine it's like, it's like a lot of us, as I went through a tricky childhood myself, I essentially as a child i was surrounded by particularly there were no male role models in my life uh, they were all just scary and then the women hit you with stuff yeah. and so i think as a kid i kind of unconsciously started to create the blueprint for the kind of adult i would want in my life and then i grew up to try to be that and I, to some extent i have become that I, i'm a adult that was designed by a child who really wanted an adult around. I, I wasn't, I don't think I was, I think I, you know, took me a while to sort of realize that, I think. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, what's what we do. But that's, uh, I didn't, of course, I didn't know that about Barnaby. And uh, yeah. uh, that I didn't know it was on for that many years. But that's a wonderful yeah. story. Again, that's a real, um, I'm going to say an emotional success. I mean, to be able to have that background, which could really put an edge on you and a certain attitude on you and an angry for what what happened and what didn't happen, the love to to grow up and and do what he did. And then sharing it with, like you say, hundreds of thousands of people is fantastic. I and the irony on top of that is that he was someone who was driven to be seen. And so he kept creating and creating. And when Barnaby hit it so big, people loved Barnaby. And meanwhile, it's like, yeah, but I'm, I, he's like working hard for that. And it's all going to Barnaby, this elf character, you know? And he became competitive with Barnaby. And so he was constantly doing side trips, the Lynn Sheldon show. He was booking himself into clubs. He was constantly promoting and doing other work. He did about you know 20 or 30 other shows that no one remembers as Lynn Sheldon, but all anyone wanted to talk about Barnaby. So for a long time, he couldn't come to terms with that. Because he felt like he was invisible 
now hidden behind his own creation. It was it's really an amazing, he's came to terms with it at the end of his life. I mean, he dealt with alcohol, he had a really troubled time, but he, he, it all came together at the end, but uh, thank God for this documentary. <laughs> but it's it's an amazing story, it really is. And I, I like I said, you could do like an hour, I'm only doing like 10 minutes, but you could do his story in an hour and it'd be great. That's Is that segment done? Um, I will be done with it by Monday. Uh, but it's taking me, that's, these other segments take me like two or three weeks. This one has taken me three months, you know, because it's like constantly, what do you leave in? What do you cut out? How yeah, do you've you got to cut it down to? Yeah, I have to have it about 10 minutes because, you know, the whole documentary is going to be just under an hour. And uh, all the other segments are about seven and a half minutes long. This one's going to be 10 minutes long and it'll be fine. But uh, but it's it's just a, a weightier, more uh, uh, leveled, you know, multi-leveled story. Yeah, so. and, and inspirational. I'm sure when people see that, they see mm-hmm. where where he was and wh- how he who he became. And yeah. it's interesting, also, Dan or Shannon, when you say that about alcohol, who who couldn't understand that? You know, I always say, killing pain. You're killing the pain. You're, mm-hmm. you're separating from that pain. Trying, mm-hmm. at least trying to, at least trying yeah. to. And mm-hmm. he overcame that, obviously. Yeah, he did. Wow, that's that's a. I had no idea about that. And that's what's going to be so great about the documentary. Yeah, I think the other pieces are, they're informative and they're fun and they're funny. And there's lots of clips and, and effects and things that you just people haven't seen in years or haven't seen at all. Yeah. You've got some really rare stuff in there. And then this one, I think, is like toward the end. And I think it's going to like come out of the blue as like suddenly there's emotion too. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so uh, it'll, hopefully, hopefully it'll work. Oh, I'm. That just from how you describe it, Dan or Shannon, it certainly will, will work. Top of the hour, you're listening to Louis B. Free Radio Show, Brain Food from the Heartland, copyright B. Free Radio Limited, 2022, produced by lovely Ms. Bunny Face in cooperation with White Rabbit Productions. So, uh, Dan, can you tell us any... I mean, I'm fascinated by it now, so I hope you don't mind if I stay with the documentary a little bit. Sure. Who else? Um, I don't know if you remember or had friends, The Toymaker. He was, uh, he was on from about uh, 1964 to 1969 on Channel 8. So I did him. Um, uh, Ron Perun, uh, Superhost, uh, did. He was on Channel 43, and he hosted afternoon movies. Um, the first TV show, the first big kids show in Cleveland was called Uncle Jake's House. And that was from 1949 to 1955. And uh, obviously, it's not easy to find material from that. But there was a little girl who was on the show. And her mother brought in a camera and took home movies of her on this show. So there's these color movies. Wow. I mean, they're not great quality and there's no, there's no sound, but it's the only actual footage from this show and it's in color and it's Uncle Jake's house from like 1952. It, it's so rare. We found um, with Barnaby, uh, before he did Barnaby, he, he, he tried 20 shows on TV before he hit with Barnaby. And uh, I go through a whole montage of his shows on stuff on documentary, but we found... Um, footage of one of those shows where he played a kid's show character called uh, Uncle Leslie, who was a clown. And it's like fine, but it's nothing special. You know, I, I found that throughout the research that, that a lot of cities had clown shows that did really big, like Bozo the Clown was in a lot of cities and huge. But we had a Bozo in, Los, in Ohio here in Cleveland, just kind of died. You know, Lynn Sheldon did Uncle Leslie, just kind of died. Uncle Glenn's amusement, blah, 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 died. Everything, everything clown and circus related, just Cleveland never really latched onto that. They, they, I guess, liked more intricate characters, whatever. But uh, who else? But that's uh, interesting um, about when you say that, because he 
persevered. He kept moving forward. Yeah, he was, the, he, I, hate, yeah. I hate to say failures, the, the ones that didn't hit, yeah. uh, uh, stop him. Because you, yeah. might, you might think at some point, maybe I should consider doing something else. Yeah, he was, but he was driven. He, like even after yeah. the success of Barnaby, which he thought was going to go for three weeks, and then we did 32 years. But even during that, he didn't stop trying. That's the thing. He kept booking himself in clubs and making new shows. He couldn't, he couldn't turn off the, that, that need, that drive for approval to be seen as Lynn Sheldon. You know? um, with Robber Room, I found a guy who had been on the show when he was five years old. And uh, like the other show I talked about, his mom came and took home movies of it. So it's really kind of neat to see. And I went and interviewed him on camera. And at one point, he's talking about the things he remembered from the show. And he talked about, he remembered like these punching bags. And he mimed, you know, doing this punching bag motion, you know. And um, I have the footage of him as a five-year-old actually doing And I, I have them like a split screen where he's as a 50-year-old and then as a five-year-old, you know, whatever. Um, so I, you find these neat little connections. You know, you find this little picture here. Hey, this this looks like this picture. I can do a split yeah. screen, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's really, it's an amazing process because I've never created by editing before. I used to write things and then sure. I yeah. don't see the editing, but I'm writing as I edit because I'll find something and it's a matter of, oh, does this go in or not? Or, oh, it's too good, but it doesn't work, you know, whatever. Um, so that the editing is determining the writing. So it's a little backwards for me, but I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, that's that's interesting. When you said that about a couple of things I want to, uh, tracking down the film that the mm-hmm. mother took of the daughter on the show in the early 50s. How did you do that? Well, that that credit goes to Mike Olszewski. He's the, the my co-host on the thing. He's the one that started this whole project. I hate him for it, but he did. Um, uh, but one thing he's very good at is um, is scouting around for pictures and video and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not bad at it myself, but he's come up with some stuff that's been really valuable. And then I'll, I'll take it and I'll use that and make the connections. For example, one thing he did was he interviewed Lynn Sheldon, we're back to Barnaby again, sorry, uh, at the end of his life and did like three hours of just interviewing him uh, audio. And so he provided me with all that. And it was all good raw material. But what I do is these tapes were done right after Lynn Sheldon had had a series of strokes. There's long pauses and slurred words. And, you know, and so what I do is I go and I just tighten up the, like, little bits yeah, of narration yeah. I'm using him. But, like, slurred words, I will find the same words in a different context, like, from two hours later, and I'll come and put them together. So there will be, like, a sentence that he does that you hear on the documentary. And the sentence sounds like he's saying it the way it is. But it's really, you know, parts of three other sentences stitched together. You know, I'm not saying I'm not having him say anything he didn't say. I'm not crying. No, I understand. Anything. No, I, I, I understand. But if he was, that's the level of pausing. Yeah. yeah, and if he's slurring words, and I can find similar or the same words and plug them in, so I can have a coherent sounding good sentence, I'll do that. So, like, that's the level of which you're like, like you're moving split seconds to get the did it, and that's just for a bit of narration and then you know what's on top of the narrative what are we looking at and what's the music and how are we moving that you know and so but mike is very good at providing raw material and then i just will shape it and keep working with it and working with it working with it until it's something you know so that partnership in that is is incredible because he's got the raw material and you i've, I've got to believe that's a lot of work a lot of got to have a lot of focus and Patience. If you're taking the sentence and getting it from somewhere else and putting it together, I can't even imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll spend hours getting Lynn to say one thing in a really good, coherent way that I can, you know, use to help illustrate a point. Um, and uh, you know, it, coincidentally, 
Uh, I live in Lakewood in a building called the Winton Place. And this is where Lynn Sheldon lived for the last 10 years of his life. Uh, he lived like two floors down. I'm in the same building he was when he was recording those things, you know, those, those, uh, those interviews. Very interesting. So I would like to hope that he's helping me somehow. Somehow, yeah. I would like to also, I, I, would, I would like to think that he's helping me, and I would also like to request that he help me more. Because he's really not pulling his weight, honestly. I feel like it's all me. So, Lynn, Lynn. I'm making a request. Please, please help. Get involved. Get involved. Just get me through the home stretch, Lynn. Just, just a few more days. Come on. That's, that we, <laughs> and again, that's uh, with all that material that you've got and that that interview. It's just got to be great. But I'm, I'm repeating but to to edit that down. To actually, it's one thing to edit things out. Yeah, yeah. We don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want that. We do want this. We, but to actually, the time and effort it would take to take a sentence, to make a sentence where, and finding the words later or before that yeah. he didn't slur. Right, right. That's exactly what it takes. And it's just listening over and over and then like pinpointing, we're pulling him out, throwing the air, la, la. And that would be just for one little thing that goes by in the audio, you know, and you don't even think about it. It's, I, I always uh, call it invisible editing. It's like the stuff that people would never think that was edited or worked on. They Oh, there's a, he said a thing and it's plugged in, you know, or this is a picture and then you go from here to here. But I've created the picture using Photoshop and this and that and this and that and da, da, da. So it's like invisible editing. You don't know that I actually had anything to do. It looks like I just popped it in you know but it's it ends up being so much better how do you know off the top of your head i'm I'm guessing of course you do how long ago he passed away how long ago he died uh 2006 so uh, 16 years yeah 2006 that's that's uh, how old was he he Ooh, that I don't That's remember. That's okay. But all I can do that he was born in 1920, so okay. it's whatever that works out. Wow. So he, uh, uh, the... 86, yeah, I guess. Yeah, That's That's fantastic, especially yeah. when you're saying about the number of strokes that he had. And he was yeah. able to, to come back from those. Yeah. Well, wow. Anybody else you can tell? I'm, I'm over-focused on the documentary because it's fascinating. Seriously, it's fascinating. <laughs> Anybody else that you can... Um, shoo. No, I mean, those are the, I'm just hitting the, the, the major point. You know, I can actually send you some of it. I got a couple of complete segments just between you Ser- and me. Yeah. Seriously? You'll send those to me? Oh, I would love to. I would love, and I, you know, you know me. I certainly yeah, I mean, keep them between us, but I would, I would love to see that. You made me think of, uh, another show that I remember Susie Sidesaddle was here. I don't oh, know. Was that Youngstown? Cause I don't, I don't. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Just because yeah. again, a lot of those were local shows, local yeah. programming. Yeah, yeah people ask if I'm doing like, yeah, Captain Kangaroo or this, but he was national. So no, I'm just doing literally yeah. Cleveland area, these three channels here. But, but there's also a segment at the end, it's almost like a montage, of the kids show hosts that came and went that aren't always well remembered remembered you know there, there was some sort of like you know uh, people like mr banjo who was on for like four years mr. here in cleveland yeah but he came and went and but there's pictures of him i actually i managed to find some really obscure audio by mistake just by accident i found some audio of him on a uh, well i can tell you a captain penny story um Please. you know so you watched it i guess yes. so. oh yeah you know, at the end of every episode he used to say you can fool some of the people all the oh, time and all oh, the God, that's, time. he said that you can't fool right. mom but you can't fool right. Right. You can and fool some of the people all the time, all the people, all the people some, some of the time, the time right? You, you, you can't mom. fool mom. 
She's pretty nice and she's pretty smart. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I but, remember uh, that. I just yeah. didn't associate it with Captain yeah. Penny. Well, he said at the end of every show. Now, he was on for, I don't know, 16 years or something. And for many of those years, he was on three times a day. He had a morning show, a noon show, and then an evening show. Wow. And he said that at the end of every He said it thousands and thousands of times. But until very recently, there was no known recording of him saying that, audio or video. You would think that at some point, Somewhere, yeah. he would have recorded an episode. But I found, uh, I know a guy in uh, Los Angeles, a guy named Jim Kiley. And his father had been on a, a talk show out here called uh, The One O'Clock Club in the early 60s as a guest. And the sound engineer gave him a tape and said, here's, here's your appearance on the show, an audio tape of your appearance on the show if you want it. So he said, sure. And my friend Jim says, we've tried to play it now and again, but we could never get it to play. But I know you collect old Cleveland stuff, so you can have this. So I had it. I played it. And the reason they couldn't play it is because it was recorded on one of those really old, uh, really slow reel-to-reel tape. Reel. Yeah. And it could do like 24 hours on a tape. So it moved really slow. Like they have in police stations. And so I put it in my computer and I slowed it down and slowed it down and slowed it down. It wasn't just this guy's dad on the one o'clock club. It was six and a half straight hours of audio of Channel 5 in 1963. From the sign-on, there's a whole romper room on there. There's like the game shows, whatever, the news. And there's a complete Captain Penny episode, including the sign-off at the end. So uh, so through a complete fluke of just meeting the right person and this happening and not throwing through the tape, whatever, I got the only recording of him saying that that last thing's so, so as I was listening through headphones, I'm hearing it. I'm thinking, I'm the first person in half a century to hear this guy hear say, that. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I love, you know, obviously not coincidence. Yeah, you know, well, obviously, yeah. I, the expression meant to be or a God wink or whatever. That's yeah, yeah. that's interesting how, how it's all coming together. Uh, someone yeah. emailed about a show called Colonel, and I remember it now that uh, they emailed it, Colonel Bleep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a now that wasn't the local show. It was a very limited animation show. If you watch that, the animation is extremely limited and must have been very cheap to do. Colonel Blue, who, who had his station at his home on Zero Zero Island with uh, his his pal Squeak and Scratch. Squeak was a puppet, and Scratch was a caveman. And they would somehow, uh, you know. Uh, I can't remember like what villains they faced, but you know they had these like serialized little cartoons, and uh, it was uh, they were really cool little drawings, but uh, very cheap. They I remember them running around the same time, and then starting to watch Rough and Ready, which is a Hanna Barbera oh, cartoon. Also, it's yeah, cool. I remember Rough and Ready. Yeah, they used to show those in the mornings. Wow, yeah. That's that's really interesting, and the research has got to be a blast for you. It is. It's 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 time consuming. I mean, you oh. like look at the library, you'll be looking up stuff, and then you look up and it's dark, you know. But it's it's a lot of stuff you find. You find the oddest little articles and things, and go, oh, I didn't know that happened. So, well, I'm cool. a big library lover. In fact, I uh, my big yeah. decisions. I've got my tie dye with white. Print. Nice. I love my life. Hey, yeah. Sure. yeah. Well, today, I've got a lot of library shirts, different different styles, long sleeve, short sleeve, nice. different colors, etc. My big decision in the morning when I'm getting dressed is which pair of blue jeans or black jeans in some cases uh, or and which library shirt to wear. I, it's so grateful. You know, we forget about, I mean, a lot of people don't think about it. I understand, you know, we, what's the expression? Take it for granted. The, the libraries have been yeah. there and they'll always be there. Um, they did renovation. They're actually, this Saturday, the main library in Youngstown is is reopening after a couple of years of oh, wow. upgrades and renovation. A library was is what is it a 
112 years now old. Wow. And, 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 and how it's, I, forgive me for going off in the library, but you were oh, saying no. about, I mean, without the library having this material. Yeah. I know you researched outside and you've found people have had tapes, et cetera, but the library is very important to, to this work, correct? You find a lot of ancillary material, stuff that's interesting but you can't use. And uh, like with this one guy finds the toy maker, one thing I found, I ended up using it, was like all these hosts, he, it would, they did personal appearances all the time. They were you know, the opening of this supermarket oh, yeah, or this shop yeah. or whatever. And they were, they were mobbed. And this guy finds the toy maker, strangely enough, two times was a, a, an act that was added to a, um, an event where, where trained dolphins uh, performed and um, in each case they were dolphins that were that were carted around from city this is 1960s carted around from city to city and then forced to perform like five or six shows a day for little kids in in shopping centers yeah. in like quickly made tanks and like yeah. like they'd be they'd be driven around you know like I say city to city in towels wrapped in salt water it's extremely cruel very and cruel. Um, yeah, very cruel and you, Oh, and by the way, in the mid-60s, no one thought a thing about it. Yeah, bring the family. Let's go out. There was one uh, whose name was Flapper who was said to uh, be able to say words in two different languages. And I assume those words were, please kill me. Um, and the other one was uh, a dolphin who uh, named Conky Joe who appeared at the Southgate Shopping Center. And there's pictures. And he could shoot baskets and smoke a cigar through his blowhole. Oh. And, and again, now we hear this and we go, oh, my God. Back then, it was yeah. like, hey, let's bring the family to see Conky Joe. It's just amazing. What's amazing about looking through old papers, old newspapers, is not just finding that thing you're looking for, but all the stuff around that tells us who we were yes. back then. Because we were different animals three decades ago, four decades ago, five decades ago. And the simple things that we took for granted, the way we lived our lives, it's all there in these papers. And you just find them in the oddest little articles and the oddest little advertisements. And you go, oh, this is who we were. And we thought nothing of it. Amazing. Uh, yeah. Again, I love going through old papers. And I have had the privilege, I, the studio that I'm in is what was the Vindicator building. And the Vindicator, mm-hmm. Youngstown Vindicator, published for 150 years. Oh, and gosh. shut down uh, 2019 at the end of August, I believe. But they, some the archives and some of the things I've been privy to be able to look through. And I always love also the ads the and see some of the uh, the prices. Just, you know, again, it's, everything it's was different. Good. I get that gas was, you know, like, yeah, a gallon like, or whatever. A house was a nickel back then. It was crazy. <laughs> But again, finding those, you know, those archives again, and like you yeah. say, I love how you say that, who we, who we were, yeah. who we are. Yeah. We think we were always the same and stuff changed yeah. around us. No, we were changing. As much as our landscape has changed, we as a species have changed. We as a society and a culture and individuals have also changed. And I think we forget that. I think we think things change around us. Around us, us. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It, they change around us, like the thing with the... Uh, book on time about you do feel time coming at you or are you moving through it you know it's just i know it sounds odd but when she explains in the book it's like wow and it tells a lot about your perception of time mm-hmm. but you, you look back at those uh, to find those and find out as you said i'm repeating again who we were uh, yeah. it's very 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 interesting and, yeah. and and who we are today i guess the selfie generation today right <laughs> 
Everybody, <laughs> and I, that, one of the things, if you don't mind if I digress, Dan O'Shannon, sure. is you've, you know, sometimes you, I understand preserving things in pictures, but it's so much about here I am, look at the background, and you miss, again, I, of course, I use a, a cell phone, of course, it's a smartphone. But you sure. miss, and, and I do look at it. I, you know, when I'm out or looking for something or beeps and message came up or whatever. But when I see people walking through life looking down, mm-hmm. concerns me. Yeah. You know, they miss. You're missing. There's a. There's people around you. There's experiences around you. You're not going to see because you're looking down, or right. stepping yeah. out in front of a car. Yeah. Or yes. Or if there's like a pretty sunset or this or that, yeah. you snap a picture because there's that feeling, oh, I can preserve it and stick yeah. a sunset in my pocket yeah. and always experience it. No, you can look at a picture. It's never going to be standing there. That moment. that moment's gone. But you took a picture and you'll sort of see it. But eh. um, no, it's a, you know, one thing, again, I, to go back to something that, that's missing now because of the way technology is, is that you and I came up in a time where our memories and our perception of the 100 years or so before us is really uh, uh, colored by the way technology recorded things. Yes. And so, like, when we see people in herky-jerky silent movies, we think the 1920s. That's, that's that yeah. time. And then there's a th- the black and white. And, and you know, we think in, in terms of, like, um, like, early pictures of me are in black and white. And then there are yeah. these then later pictures. Pictures, there's these like really oversaturated Polaroids. Yes. And it's, and and if there's any home movies, they're all and there's no sound and it's all and then videotape. And then now everything is crystal clear. But there's this way we look back in the past where as you go farther back, the recording was more primitive. And so so our it colors the way we remember everything. People coming up now. The stuff that was recording when they were infants has just as much fidelity and realism as the stuff they're watching now. There's no difference between then and now. In fact, the way they're recording, you know, and that's one thing. I don't know if it's good or bad that they won't have that, but uh, it certainly, you know, we look at black and white and go old. You know, we can okay. The, the early Beatles are in black and white. The yes. later Beatles are in color, color. You know, and that's the way we uh, we think of things. You know, or black and white TV and then color TV. Color TV. Yeah. So, so we uh, we we have categorized our memory uh, based on how things were recorded uh, in a way that people won't now. That's that is also very interesting, Dan O'Shannon. When you think about that again, you're talking about that. Back to what we were talking about: three channels. There were three channels. And again, yeah. more people because there were only three could talk about. Did you see this last night? And you've yes. got a what a thirty-three and a third percent chance that they did. Now with hundreds, I don't know how many channels and all the streaming services, etc. You know, yeah. Rarely, I think you're going to run into someone. Did you see this last yeah. night? And you know, TV was more special when it controlled us. When we had to make sure we were in front of the TV on a certain time, Saturday night, you want to watch that lineup, you had to be there and you had no choice. And they weren't going to rerun it unless they decide, unless the TV gods decided to. But one thing that that you do not hear in American houses anymore is somebody yelling, it's starting! And the thunder of (laughs) it's They didn't want to miss a single second. Yeah. You know, yeah. Or in the positive, or watch it later, or watch it next time. Or the, and there's, by the way, there's a million other things to watch. And, you know, yeah, you, know, you want people, you can pause it and you record yeah. some. What I can't think of the device that records. Uh, 
digital the recording DVD. device. I don't know. I don't know what it's called. I don't don't use DVR. it. I'm, I'm too. Is that what? DVR. Yeah. DVR. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's you can record. Hey, we'll, we'll going to correct us. We'll be gone by the time the mail comes in. Yeah. You know the it's that's interesting because and again I don't. I don't have one. I don't use that. But I know people that do, and they'll record. If they're working, someone that I know works nights, records mm-hmm. certain sure. programs that yeah, he likes, sure. and then yeah, watches sure. them on the weekend or whenever. And that yeah. back in, in the olden days, no, 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 no. you saw no, it. I love that. We had started. Well, it was important to us then, and it's an experience. I mean, look, the, the generation now, and I'm saying nothing really substantively newer than anyone has ever said at this age about how we used to have it and people don't have that anymore. And, you know, we were so much richer because TV was this and da, da, da. Yeah, we will always believe that. But the generation that's coming up will have their special way to remember things and the things they treasure that is like almost a different language than what I have now. You know, I I remember very fondly a pre-digital world. And uh, I miss it. If I didn't know something, I had to either call the library or get on my bike and ride there and yeah. find it out and research myself. And it's a, it's a very, very different world now. And I'm sure that, that people will look back on that fondly one day, the early days of digital age. But, you know, I, I, I get, you know, and there's so many things. I, I look up things. I, I, I love a physical dictionary. And I mm-hmm. love a physical dictionary because I, I look up a word. And then it's like, oh, look at that word, uh, the process of discovery. Yeah, you know, you see that. Oh, what, what about this? What? Of, of course I use uh, the internet or the phone to, to look up words if I need something quickly. But you don't get that experience that I, yeah. I can get lost in a dictionary. I can look up a word and then forget the word I was looking up a couple, an hour later. Where I'm still yeah, yeah, looking yeah. in the dictionary and, and discovering things. And again, that you don't have that with news. Now, again, the way the Internet will push a certain news, where they, how they prioritize it on your search engine, whatever, whatever it might be, uh, and, and you don't have the newspaper where you would see a, a story continued on page five. When you go to page five, you see another article you want to read that you yeah, – yeah. you know, it's just it's, – it's interesting. I'm not, again, I'm not – I guess I am judging it in a negative way a little bit, but but the, mm-hmm. also the positive, the access to information immediately mm-hmm. is a good thing, as long as the information that you've looked up is accurate. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> I, yeah, well, you know, I have a, a there's a local veterinarian, and I was talking with him once about there was a, a something they were using for what they call head tilt in, in rabbits, and we had a number of rescue rabbits, uh, some something they were doing in the UK that they were having success with. And I was telling him, and he's become a friend, so I was telling him all about, well, what do you think? And that, well, you know, what, and he says, hold on, Louis, and he comes out with a coffee mug and he's peering over it and it says, don't confuse your Google search with my veterinary medical degree. <laughs> because there's so much misinformation on health uh, you know, medical stuff. You've got yeah. you, and you have to weed through it or find a, oh. a reliable site that you go to. No, I, mean, I think the scariest thing on the internet is WebMD because it's like you could have the hiccups and you a WebMD. Like five minutes later, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to die tomorrow. I yeah. have cancer, yeah. AIDS, whatever. It could know? be this. It could be that. Yeah. It could be early signs of yeah, yeah, esophageal yeah. cancer. If you're yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then and people panic. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. The medical stuff uh, is troubling to me where people look up. And some of the other yeah. things, some of the, the, the slanted news, if you will. Uh, yeah. I'm obsessed with, if it's a story I'm interested in, tracking, sourcing it to find yeah, out. Yeah, I, if I do that too. I get into arguments with my neighbor, and so that, that sends me off looking for 30 verifications over here and there and you know, whatever. But it's a, what kind of a waste of time. Are generally arguments about, or do you not want oh, to say? Politics. politics. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're... Politics are different from yours. I don't want to, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. I'm curious, but I'm not going to ask. Well, well, you know what? We should do, we'll do a whole, I'll be happy to come back and we'll do a whole show on that. Yeah. That is, yeah, it it is and again, I, I'll watch all f- the major cable networks, and it's different how, you know, just, it, they're, it's, they're not news anymore. No, and that's because, I mean, you know, everyone talks about, the opioid epidemic. But there is a much, much larger and more sinister drug epidemic going on. And that is the drug of outrage. And I'm not just being like facile with words. Outrage, when we feel outraged by something, it is a physiological rush that goes through us. And we share it with that. Can you believe that? And we keep this feeling alive because it is a rush. And I first noticed that I was addicted uh, back when Trump was running for his uh, nomination for the Republican Party back, back then. And every day he would do and say something outrageous. And I would be talking, can you believe he said this? I would blah, 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 and I'd stoke it up in someone else. We'd keep the fire going. And then there was like one time where for like four or five days, he didn't do anything horrible. And I found myself online Googling to see what he'd done lately because I wanted a hit of the drug. Missing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I realized is, oh, this is, this is a huge thing with all of us. And, and it is a trillion dollar industry. For for for, uh, uh, for for the media and for politicians to keep us angry. That's why news is five minutes of news and fifty-five minutes of people arguing about the news, so that we can argue at home and we can get mad at them and we can yell at the TV or we can yell at whoever's with us watching. Da 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 da. Because we won't walk away if we're busily yelling at each other. And so so everyone who should be telling us, hey, there's a drug called outrage, and you've got to watch yourself. It's not in their best interest. It, it makes them a lot richer to keep us angry with each other. It keeps people in power yes. to keep us angry at each other. Yes. You know, yes. So you, your Trump and your Biden, whoever, it's in their best interest that you and I fight each other yes. all the time, so that we don't have time to gather together and put idiots out of office and put someone in there who can drive this car. You know. Uh, but and so we argue about who's incrementally better than the other person when just the fact that we're fighting. Is is beneficial to them, yeah, yeah. And, and it's detrimental for us. But you, it, you yeah. just are you cool time wise for a little? I can do a little more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, 10, 15. No, oh, 10, 10, 10, 10. 10. Cool, cool. I, I've kept you a long time, Dan O'Shannon. I'm always concerned right. if I keep him too long, he won't come back. Do the game with me. <laughs> but I've got, I've got to tell you this, and I don't want to be rude. That's also it the uh dr bruce alexander and i can email this to you who was uh addiction to, he did the experiments with rat park where he was many many years ago when they would have mice in in uh i can't remember what they called the little box the little just tied nothing to do no you know um Skinner boxes. Wow. Thank you, Mr. Memory. Uh, Skinner boxes. And he, many, many years ago, and he, he thought about why they would almost drink themselves of this drugged water to, to death. 
uh, or become very dependent on it. And he said, well, what if they had, if we made a, a rat park where they could be with each other, could have sex, could play, you know, things to do. And they didn't drink themselves. They didn't drink the drugged water. It was brilliant. This was many, many, many decades ago. And he's written so much on addiction. And recently, when you say that about the, the drug, I just, um, the most dangerous addiction of all, a final word to addiction professionals. And again, he's talking about just what you are talking about just you know that uh, addicted to the rush when you said that it was like wow i thought of bruce alexander right dr alexander right away because again that's it you know you wanted that rush you were looking for even though you were outraged by things that trump said you were addicted to and we didn't see it it was like you you went to search it out because you wanted that hit yeah yeah wanted to be angry and uh, I think a lot of us do. I think a lot. That's why there are people trolling the internet constantly, starting fights and keeping fights going. And 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 you see how easily we all get sucked into it. You know, it's like it's hard to it's hard to not do it. But uh, yeah, it's an addiction and it's a multi billion dollar industry. Yeah, yeah, and it's a multi billion. Yes, a multi billion dollar industry. It keeps it going. Certain sites that people go to where they get angry and and looking up that. Thing that will give them that hit. That's 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 brilliant. I, when you, your analysis of that is absolutely brilliant, and again, that's problematic in our world today. Yeah. Oh yeah. But beneficial, but 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 yet beneficial to some to keep. Well, us yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, and economically uh, beneficial, right? E- yeah, I suppose it is. Yes, yes. The world for some people, yeah. you know. <laughs> do. do do you love the fact that many of the shows that you did are in reruns and playing them again? Um, are they? I, uh, um, I, I, you know, it's so funny. I don't really pay attention now, but um, yeah. you know, I think it's nice if, if someone. You know, I don't watch stuff that I've worked on, and uh, like, tell, and me about, tell me about that. Now, like for example, I have not seen an episode of Cheers since. Uh, 1993, I guess it went off the air. I haven't seen a Frasier since Frasier? 2000. Yeah. Um, and I think, the, and the reason, it finally occurred to me, you know, why, because I always wonder why I don't do this. People say, don't you watch? No. And it's not that I have any negative feeling. It's just that I know those shows are well regarded. And if I watch an episode and I see a mistake in it or I see something I could have done better, it will ruin the entire series for me. <laughs> so I would rather just keep that notion in my head hey these were great shows and i'm lucky to be a part of it i don't want to be faced with all the flaws that there are in them that i might have had something to do with and i you know on, on a obviously on a minuscule scale to the, uh, the work that you've done i understand that because when i was uh broadcasting up on lake erie uh, not in lake erie but near Lake Erie. And the signal went from, what was it, East Cleveland through Erie, and it was, it, was, it was great. They wanted to take some of the shows and edit them to, to put it in other spots, you know. And yeah. they would ask me, and I appreciate it, to be involved, Jimmy. Yeah. After a little while, they asked me to please not be involved because it was like oh i can't believe i said that why didn't i ask this oh listen to me um louis really um on, on a, yeah so it was like i under, i understand on a small level 
what that's like because if you see it and you, oh. you're you're going to hear a mistake or you're going to hear in my a question not asked or why did I ask that and yeah. most of them we yeah. pause you know it's a dead air well, yeah. for even for two seconds and yeah. You, you, yeah I can't listen to no I, I always wanted to uh, I always wanted to do an episode of Frazier. I never got around to it because he was on the radio. He was a radio psychologist. And I wanted to do oh, an episode yes, with him. Yeah, where he's listening to an old broadcast of his, like a rerun. And he hears himself, and he's trying to predict what he's going to say, and he keeps getting it and getting it. And then he hears himself say, give some advice to somebody that he now, five years later, disagrees with. Oh, that'd be great. And he, That's and, brilliant. And he makes it his goal to find this person to give them the advice he thinks of now. You know, it's, it drives him crazy. I just never got around to doing it. Um, but no, I, I totally get them. I, I, I look aside. That's I still brilliant. Have. That's interesting. No, oh, thanks. I, I, have, I have one. I have regrets in TV, but there is one. My biggest regret is this uh, a joke I put in. It was all I can say. I'm already defending myself. It was late in the season and I was tired. I was late. It's I was tired. I was <laughs> tired. I was not my best self. And um, it was. Um, is on Frasier, and Niles and Daphne are going to have a baby, and they're talking about what to name the baby, and Niles' last name is Crane. And so there's all the jokes about Ichabod and yeah. whatever. And, um, and at that time, there was a movie out called Autofocus about Bob Crane, who was a great comic actor and a sex addict. And the sex addiction eventually got him in with the wrong people, and he was murdered. You know, he, was, he was on Hogan's Heroes. He was, yeah, he was Hogan. That name. Okay. And uh, and there was a movie about it, and I had just seen it, and um, and a lot of people were like, "Yeah, that's kind of creepy," and it was kind of a creepy movie. But I mean, the guy had an addiction problem, and um, but he still was a great comic actor, and he was on Hogan's Heroes, which I loved. Yeah, and I so we're in this episode about um, you know, so what should they name their baby? You know, their last name is Crane, and at one point, one of them says, "How about Bob?" And Niles and Daphne kind of look at each other, going, mm-hmm. <laughs> "Because at that time he was in the news, and that was a thing." And I just put it out there, forgot about it, moved on with my life. And a couple of years later, I was reading a biography of Bob Crane. And there was a thing in the, in the opening about his family always had to deal with the stigma of people remembering their family member this way instead of what he did that was good and positive. Yeah. And mentions the fact that they watched that episode of Frasier and felt just horrible about it. And I went into such a spiral about that. And it's true. It was a horrible, thoughtless thing for me to do and the thing is i thought i had gotten over using actual people as punchlines and i when i was young in my career that meant especially if they were famous sure make a sure, punchline yeah. and then i started meeting people and i was like oh you can't do that and yet for some reason this one slipped through and it is truly i would i if i could had a time machine and go back and correct anything that i would correct that first you know that is the one that just just when i think of it i still get heartsick when hogan's heroes is on yeah. I will somehow, somehow, time, sometimes get through an episode, and sometimes I'll just feel too horrible. And it's something I, I will regret for the rest of my life. Dan O'Shannon, I, I've just, I've got to say this, and I, I know it's painful for you, so please don't misread. I've got, I've got my finger on the button here. I can just, yeah. I can just stop. Well, this. I just that's that's the beauty of you because you feel so deeply. You feel you've got empathy, compassion, and it bothers you. Again, I can I understand it back then, and I can understand you. But it's like I love that that you still think of. I don't love it for you. I I appreciate your compassion <laughs> and empathy. I mean, I'm saying it wrong. Your empathy, and you feel deeply 
and mm, thanks, loving thanks. it. Just, no, you, thank you. I I love that about you. You you know, and again, self-critical isn't a good thing. But understanding things are different. You've thought about it later, and the fact that it still bothers you. I hate to say that. I, I well, love the I'll fact that it still bothers you. I don't well, love I'll the fact you. that you're regretful, <laughs> but that I you're still in touch with it. But then this ties into something you were saying before about reruns. That's the thing. It's like, I know that they've edited some of these episodes, but not all of them. And what are the odds they took that joke out? So, I mean, I, I, my feeling is that, you know, you talk about reruns and these things are going forever. That particular grievance or not agree that egregious move on my part is just out there forever now and it will rerun in cycles and it will and every time their family is why they'll see you know it's like i don't know i i just feel like a it would be different if it was on once and then never on again we could forget about it but things things never go away now so that's the thing with the digital age mistakes uh, live forever you know. Yeah, and the one thing I've just got another observation, and I've said this frequently on the show that a lot of people want to point the finger, but fear the mirror. They don't want to be introspective. Oh, wow. They don't want to look at me. I don't. I, I, I'm you. It's you again. Back even the politics. It's you. Da, da, da. You know, they're pointing the finger, where they won't take a a look in the mirror and examine themselves. And you. And again, I I know because I do it. It can be very painful. Yeah. But you connect and understand, and you know, most people don't do that. And again, I appreciate the empathy and compassion that you have, Dad O'Shannon. I always love doing the gig with you. I'm so grateful that that you do the gig with me. <laughs> that oh, you come on. And I, as weird as I am and wacky as I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, it always makes me have to think, you know. it's I, I like doing an interview where it isn't the same five questions over and over. Like, who's the family, your favorite person to have worked with? And who's, who's a bad, blah, blah, blah. You know, what's your favorite joke? You know, I, I like the way we actually talk about, I never know where it's going to go when we start talking. So I like that. Neither do I. Just so the... <laughs> Neither do I. Thank you so much, Dan. I, Thanks, I, man. Dan O'Shannon. I just I love this guy. He and so much that he says will resonate with people. Recording stuff. Not fearing the mirror and things like that is just absolute. Point the finger, but fear the mirror. And it was really hard to describe with him because once again, here's this guy that it's painful for him, and he can't change it. You can't change the past you can only move forward with new introspection and new ideas yet it he feels and that empathy that compassion and humor dan o'shannon has i just uh I appreciate it. And once again, I, I love that he continues to do the gig with me after the first time. And he, I like when he said, I never know where these the interviews is going. And that makes two of us. So I'll be back with more right after this. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus